0: Business Is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Callaghan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Bauer.
1: Today's guest is a pioneer in organics, sustainable business, and has won awards for being the world's fairest trader. You have definitely sampled his wares. If you've enjoyed a fair trade banana, a cola made with actual cola, or a few years back tasted a lemonade sweetened with honey. Chris Morrison was the co-founder of Phoenix Organics, when more than 20 years ago there was no organics industry here. He built the business and the category and then did something remarkable. He sold and not only worked to mentor the next generation of sustainable businesses, but has gone on to reinvent some of our most ubiquitous consumer goods, the banana and the cola. Talking good business and how he does it, he joins me now. Hey, um, let's start with Phoenix Organics. What led you to organics back when you were, were studying?
2: Um, I did did my O.E. in Canada and uh, did the usual thing: worked in ski resorts and on salmon trawler and all sorts of jobs, and including a health food shop. And yeah, got quite interested in organics, and uh, you know, from there came back to New Zealand after being away for six years and went to naturopathic college. I was interested in alternative medicine and, uh, yeah, the health industry in general and met my wife, Deborah. And anyway, to support myself, I was working part-time in a health food shop and uh, there was an American guy that used to come around with uh, flagons of homemade ginger beer. And one day he said to me, look, I'm going back to the to the states, and just wondered if you'd be interested in taking over the business. And so we did a deal for fifty dollars, <laughs> and uh, I ended up with a ginger beer bag and uh, a couple of customers. Um, so it was very, very primitive uh, beginnings. Uh, it was we used to collect used Steinlager bottles from behind pubs and take them home and uh, clean them, take uh, fill up the bath, uh, soak off the labels a few cigarette butts that would float out, <laughs> etc. put them back into my Thames Trader van, uh, take them downtown and sterilise them at a friendly restaurant who had a bottle steriliser, take them back, and then with a very sophisticated jug and funnel would uh, fill these batches of ginger beer, uh, and then we'd leave them to ferment, and then uh, we would take them round to the few... The very few cafes that were actually around at that time, 1985. So that was the humble beginnings of Phoenix. And about a year later, I met my business partner Roger Harris, and uh, together, yeah, we built built Phoenix.
1: How did you guys go about doing that? Um, were there you say there weren't many cafes? Were there many places where you could wander in and say, I've got an organic beverage, and it's going to cost you know an, a few dollars, and people thought that was a good idea?
2: Well, there's this funny thing about ginger beer and and Kiwis. Everybody seems to have an uncle or aunt or someone in their family or friends who had made homemade ginger beer. So we sort of had it in our blood really. and so when, when we turned up, we didn't no labels, just these plain bottles of homemade ginger beer. People were very receptive and and to be honest, there wasn't too much choice at that time. You know, we had the swipes and the Coca-Cola and stuff, and that was about all. Um, and so people really liked the idea that this was a, a different drink, a, a a more healthy drink, and, yeah, interesting. So people were very receptive, and it went very well.
1: How did you go about building out the organic idea? W- when did the certification start coming in, and how did you go from being uh, doing it in the kind of back shed to, to being... Um, a, a business around it.
2: Yeah, well, one thing led to another, and you know, we uh, used to use somebody's premises at night when they'd finished, and uh, and then eventually we got some equipment, and yeah, one thing led to another, and then we came up with a name. I think it first started was Ginger Fizz, and uh, then Roger and I um, thought about it. and Thought, well, we want we want a bigger range than just ginger beer. So anyway, we came up with Phoenix, um, and yeah, as we got bigger, uh, we were able to get certification. We learnt about pasteurisation, which meant that we could stabilise the drinks and give them a shelf life of twelve months. We added a lemonade, a cola, and a whole lot of other drinks in time. But yeah, no, we but we were always interested in sustainability and organics, and we always sourced organic ingredients. Uh, from the very beginning and you know to be honest there wasn't that many people growing organically at the time and so we you know we did the best that we could so um, over time more and more people got into organics and uh, thankfully we were able to source all our ingredients organically and get certified
1: I mean, it's not a uh, fringe case thing anymore. Every supermarket has organics in it, but you really were pioneering the space. It it very much was a fringe interest, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, there was only a few of us, really. Um, It was around that time that Harvest Whole Foods and Grey Lynn started. But besides that, uh, there would have been a couple of other health food stores there was very little knowledge or availability of organics. So it was interesting times, but you know, exciting as well. And it was an opportunity to grow a business because we're sort of at the forefront. And uh, as people became more and more interested, then our business grew and, and other businesses came along. It was an exciting time. Did
1: you ever think that you were crazy and actually you know, using honey to sweeten drinks and doing things for ethical reasons in the face of the big soda kind of world? Was just not going to work.
2: Never, never really thought about it. I mean, not it wasn't to say that it wasn't uh, hard. It certainly was hard, and we had difficult times. But we were really passionate about it, and uh, people were really supportive. And yeah, we we never thought about giving up. We just uh, you really supported, I guess, by by all those stakeholders out there that were interested in what we were doing.
1: Yeah, that, that wave of the cafe culture coming and. Um, And and Phoenix being in every cafe.
2: Yeah, well, that that has been a wonderful relationship with us. And uh, people like Chris Priestley at Atomic and Java Jive and now it's 121 uh, was very supportive. And, um, you know, there were a number of people. And we have always looked at wherever good coffee is sold, uh, that was the place where we should have our drinks. And it's still the case today.
1: In terms of making a business like that work, I mean, were there any times that, um, you know, it went out the, nearly went out the back door or, or was difficult? And what what was it like having, you know, young families, both you and your business partner had young families and building a business where nothing had existed?
2: Yeah, it, it was challenging for sure. And, you know, we, uh, Deborah and I, no capital. Uh, same with Roger. So you know we could only spend what we earned. You know it wasn't like we were going out for investment and stuff like that. We pretty much to the very end we remained the the shareholders. Um, and you know we we could use the bank a little bit more as we grew, but uh, yeah, it was it was very modest in the, in the early days. Um, but that's that's a good thing, and you learn that way. We were you know it's it's kind of difficult sometimes for someone who hasn't run a business like this to be given an injection of capital because you you can blow it pretty quickly. So there were a lot of good lessons that we learnt by just, you know, growing as we could afford to.
1: Tell me about the Methodists. How did they get you out of a tight spot?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we... uh, you know there there may have been a time when we needed to buy some equipment to be more efficient and and to get our costs down etc and like i say there w- we didn't we didn't really have a track record or anything like that so we really only had the money we were earning or the bank and uh, the bank wasn't too happy to put too much money into a small business uh, but there were there were generous people out there and and one of the you know, the organisations that helped us was the Methodist Mission, and they're about um, employment generation, and so we went and sat down with them and told them our story, and and they were very supportive, and uh, yeah, lent us some money, we paid it back, and probably lent some more, and uh, yeah, it's been a very good relationship.
1: And tell me about Deciding to sell as that was something that you'd <laughs> built up over twenty years, a, you, you know, a, a, a name that everyone would know. Yeah. Uh, it must have been a big decision to decide to move on from it.
2: It was a big decision, and actually, after twenty years, uh, we'd built a business that was the largest uh, organic beverage company in Australasia. Uh, so it was great, great to have achieved that. Um, and we weren't looking to sell. We had a lot of people knocking on the door and uh, we weren't that interested. But one day, um, Stefan came from Charlie's and I just felt this was a good fit. This is We didn't want to sell to a multinational. We didn't want to sell to Coca-Cola. Um, but here's a, you know, a company that has built up a juice company in New Zealand with New Zealand ethics and we felt that was quite good. And to be honest, you know, with four children and not really ever having holidays or or anything like that, it was, you know, you you get a little bit tired and and look to new adventures and and new things to do, and, and we felt that the timing was good, and uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was the right thing to do at the time.
1: And so after after coming out with that exit, you also then. Uh, decided to start All Good, which is how you know many, many, many more people again than with Phoenix Organics would now know what you've done. Tell me about how you decided to get into Bananas.
2: So All Good is um, a company set up by Simon Coley, uh, who's X42 Below and a great brand guy, um, and Matthew Morrison, my brother, Um Who's really good on finance, and myself who had a little bit of experience with business and beverages, and we got together and thought, "Isn't it strange that uh, you know we live in New Zealand? Uh, we're we're in the middle of the Pacific. We've got great neighbours around us like Tonga and Samoa, etc. And why is it that we can't get bananas from them? We used to get all our bananas from our neighbours in the Pacific, and and now." Our bananas come from a long, long way o- away and are uh, run by big, big multinational corporates that are not that ethi- ethical. So we thought, well, is there a way that we could, you know, look at bringing in bananas from Samoa, for example? I had a little bit of a relationship there. So anyway, for a year, we, uh, we brought in uh, Misaluki bananas, which are like the ladyfinger bananas that they grow here in New Zealand. They're grown organically up there. We persevered. It was difficult. By the time they got here and were ready to eat, they were looking black. Consumers were not used to black bananas. Uh, so um, we then went to dried bananas, and we still bring those in today. And um, So that was an interesting experience. We didn't know anything about produce. Um, and then from there, we researched it more and realised that there was a market for fair trade bananas, and that had been very successful in Europe and In the UK, one in three bananas are fair trade. In Switzerland, 50% of fair trade. And we thought that consumers in New Zealand would support this. So we started to bring in uh, containers of green bananas from a cooperative in Ecuador, El Guabo. And, uh, yeah, it was a very, very steep learning curve. Uh, We threw away quite a few bananas in the (laughs) beginning. But we learned about ripening. Developed a very good relationship with foodstuffs and the organic stores, and it's been a great journey.
1: It's pretty amazing because of kind of taking on the big soda companies that are kind of the face of, you know, um, thoughtless capitalism, really, to then move to bananas, which, you know... Actually, have been tipping over governments all through the world, and uh, y- you know, responsible for enormous human rights violations and you know, terrible environmental practices. Yeah. Y- you know, there's some real terrible stuff in the history of bananas. Were you worried getting into it? Has it been? Has it been? Um, I think crazy like I that. I think
2: we're a little naive, really, to realise exactly what we were getting into. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, these are. Some of the biggest corporations in the world, the Doles and the Chiquitas, etc., fives, um, and their track re- track records haven't been good. But that is an opportunity. You know, that is really an opportunity to tell a more positive story, and actually connect the consumers back to the growers. And you know, I think we've done a reasonable job of that. We've been to the cooperative a number of times. We've brought out growers out here to New Zealand to talk about what it is. You know, the life of a banana grower for their families and communities and the positive outcomes from doing it ethically. And it has been, you know, we've been very well supported.
1: And with your interest in sustainability as well, the banana industry is a massive cautionary tale for what you do if you have a single crop. You know, we're on yeah. something like the third or fourth popular banana because they get a single crop growing around the world and then a blight goes through and it's gone.
2: Absolutely, I totally agree. Um, you know, we need to support biodiversity. If you have monoculture, uh, you're needing to use a lot of chemicals, etc. And that's the great thing about organics, you know, that that organics are supporting the biodiversity, is supporting the life and the soils, etc. And that's what's interesting and, you know, we need more of it and we certainly need more of it in New Zealand. I think there's a wonderful opportunity in New Zealand to be the true clean, green country that we uh, get out there and tell everybody we are. Well, I think we've got a long way to go. I think we need to focus on organics and sustainable agriculture, and uh, there's a wonderful opportunity for the markets that we export to.
1: How do you actually get the first purchase with these things? So when you're bringing bananas in and they're going to be maybe three, maybe two times more expensive than the existing bananas, how do you convince a supermarket to put, big space in something that is like that
2: i guess you've got to use examples where it's worked well overseas and there are companies like sainsbury's etc in the in the uk which have gone 100% fair trade and not seen a drop off in the sales of bananas it's actually gone up and to talk about uh, ethical consumers um, and how that is growing and that how consumers really do care about what they're buying and what they're feeding their families so there's a lot of research now um, and so you know that's quite convincing supermarkets don't want to be left behind and they want to give choice to consumers and so actually it's been a reasonably you know easy sell and like I say foodstuffs have been yeah, very supportive.
1: Is it the case of getting like a a visionary buyer, or someone who becomes your champion in these places, because I know in other businesses that we've talked to, people say once you get a supermarket, or once you get the really big uh, distributor, then the rest kind of falls into place.
2: Yeah, well, it's certainly easier with the smaller health food stores. I mean, they're very supportive, and that's you know that's their core business is actually providing clean, green food and ethical food. And with the supermarkets, it's more of a business transaction. And so they, if they can be convinced that there's a dollar in it and that it's good for for them and that's going to bring in consumers, then that's that's what compels them.
1: How many of the all good bananas are you selling now? I saw a figure somewhere saying that uh, a few years ago it was one every ten seconds, one bunch every ten seconds where, where is it now?
2: yeah no it's it's probably it's grown from there we We bring in at least three forty foot containers of bananas every week, and then that's a challenge. I mean. The, with the banana world, you never know how many bananas are going to be on the market at any given time. So, you know, we have to balance that out. But uh, we're throughout the country and through independent grocery as well. So, yeah, it's growing. And, you know, we, we've been so successful that actually there's another couple of brands out there as well now. So, yeah, it's good that consumers are getting that choice.
1: And tell me about moving back into drinks. Yeah. So you you <laughs> kind of came full circle, and then started the the uh, the Karma Cola and uh, Gingerella and uh, Limi Lemonade that everyone uh, would have seen. And um, I, I was uh, traveling with work in London, and I kept seeing the little cans all through um, cafes in, in London. So it's it's not just here; it's everywhere. Yeah,
2: no, it's been very exciting, and I guess yeah, having taken on the biggest. Uh, Food companies, you know, fruit companies in the world. We thought, why don't we have a look at uh, fair trade and organic soft drinks? And you know, Phoenix was a fantastic brand still is, but you know, we wanted to take it one step further and look at the fair trade, ethical supply of ingredients. And uh, so, you know, with Simon and Matt, we we came up with a great brand in and Karma Cola. And you know, we we feel that there's still a lot more opportunity. I think there's something like 1.9 billion Coca-Cola's sold every day around the world. I mean, it's just unbelievable. That's amazing. <laughs>
1: something that has you know, negative nutritional value.
2: Yeah, yeah. So we thought, look, if we can get a small stake of that, you know, there's a really good business here. And again, we believe that consumers are really interested in those deep stories and, we, you know, we're very transparent about all our ingredients, uh, and we have a very special relationship with Sierra Leone, where we get our cola nut, and, you know, it, it has been very well supported. I mean, it's, as, you know, like any business, there's certainly challenges, and we're, we're looking to really grow this business. We've got an office in London, we bottle in London, got a great team there, we're selling in about 19 countries now, so... Uh, we're just at the beginning of the journey, but it's very exciting and a lot of support there.
1: It's pretty amazing, you, you know, um, that there is the room for you to do this. Uh, considering 1.9 billion cola drinks are sold every day, and yeah. and yours is one of the only ones that actually uses cola.
2: Yeah, well, I mean that's, I mean that's really the opportunity, isn't it, to to tell people that you have a choice that you can choose. To support something that actually uh, has a positive impact on the growers, There's an a positive impact right through the supply chain, and that that's that really touches a nerve with people, and and people are frustrated, you know, with with their choices at times, and they people want to do the right thing, so you know it's fantastic to give people that opportunity to do it.
1: You mentioned like the banks weren't really there to support small businesses a while ago. And you, have, you have, have, through your companies, supported small businesses coming up. Has that changed at all? Have we got a more supportive uh, environment for getting money to get these ideas off the ground?
2: Well, there's different ways of raising money now. Um, crowdfunding, you know, hasn't been around that long, and it certainly wasn't around when, when we started. Um, but the banks, yeah, I mean, the they're answering to their shareholders. They've been through financial collapses, etc., and are pretty risk averse. Um, so you know, it's they're always looking to protect any uh, lendings. So it it is difficult for people that are starting up. So you know, that's where I think mentoring is really important and talking to people about how they structure their businesses in the early days is, gives them the resilience and the ability to build a sustainable business.
1: Yeah, you, what kind of advice do you give young entrepreneurs? Because I know many come to you and I know you've been involved in networks that have helped them as well. Like, what do you tell people with a dream? Um, uh, and I, I guess there's two questions. What do you tell them when it's a an idea that you think's good or an idea that you think needs work?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, one of the, the best pieces of advice, I think, is to... Uh, to be comfortable to go and ask people for advice. Um, I think, you know, most Kiwis are very generous with their time and, you know, are not defensive, etc. So I think, you know, if, if you see someone out there that you respect or has done something well in business, my advice is, yeah, pluck up the courage to, to give them a call or go around and see them and have a chat. and And, yeah, like I say, most people are very generous, and I think that's... Good and surround yourself with with good people. Um, yeah, I, d- I don't really hesitate to tell people if I think you know they're not quite on the right track and and maybe even that uh, going into business is not the right thing for them because it isn't for everybody. And we have a lot of failures in business, and that that can be quite taxing, you know, on somebody who's come in with an idea probably hasn't. Quite got it right, and then ends up, you know, losing money or you know, mortgaging their house, etc. That's that's a very big toll on somebody. So you know, I think you need to take it slowly, get as much advice as possible, and and then uh, you go forward.
1: Yeah, because it's it there's a lot of you out there when you're in business, like you're risked and your personal reputation and your finances yeah. and, yeah, yeah it can it, but then you, to come through the other side and to be in a position now, like having set kind of, you know, the, the example with uh, Phoenix and now, you know, making all good such a mainstream part of um, consumer society here, then where is where are you looking to take the, Drinks, the Karma Cola drinks. Like, what scale are you guys wanting to to get this to? What would be success for you? What, what's your kind of like, um, I, I, I guess, like thing that you're almost embarrassed to say about how big you'd like it to get? Maybe.
2: Well, I mean, you know, the ultimate is that every drink sold is is ethical and you know comes from uh, from organic sources, etc. I mean, that that would be the ultimate to me. That I, I don't have any issue with growing bigger. I mean doing well and growing big is a good thing you know we most of the big businesses uh you know struggle with ethics and uh looking further than just their bottom line and return to shareholders so i, I want to see more and more good businesses doing well and uh, and growing bigger and you know back to what we discussed at the beginning it's uh we, we have a bit of a thing in New Zealand um, about building a business to a certain size and then selling it and buying the batch and the beamer and the house, you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, that's that's comfortable, but w- we want to do more than that. We, we really want to influence people. We want to influence other big businesses to say, hey, there's a different way of doing things and to have successful big ethical businesses is a wonderful outcome you know for all of us and you know that would be the goal
1: and at the moment you're in 19 countries you're bottling in the uk you're in the big supermarkets there with the drinks and as you say it's just starting
2: absolutely yeah no no we're uh, we're excited about the future and uh yeah we want to sell more drinks yeah,
1: that's magic well thank you so much for coming and chatting to us today chris morrison of uh, all good uh, thank you to Jose Barbosa for producing, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you're a fan of the spin off podcasts, jump on and give us a uh, rating and a review on iTunes and get amongst some of the other spin off
0: podcasts. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound, and brought to you by the spin off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, visit sparklab.co.nz.